Hi friends, I am your host Jade and welcome or welcome back to Criminal Curiosity, the true crime podcast that dives into bizarre and fascinating cases. Together we talk about unsolved mysteries to cases you've never heard of. So buckle up and get ready to feed your curiosity with Criminal Curiosity. This week we are going to be talking about Gary Schaefer, a serial killer in Vermont. I have never heard of this person before and there is little known about this case there are no pictures besides literally one there is limited resources and i'm pretty sure that no one knows where this man is locked up at so let's get started gary schaefer was born in 1951 in allentown pennsylvania to his parents edwin and june schaefer Allentown is the third largest city in the state after Philadelphia and Pittsburgh. When Gary was still a child, the family relocated from Pennsylvania to Springfield, Vermont, where Gary's parents became active members of the local Christian community. Growing up, Gary was characterized as a very calm, friendly, and reliable person who pretty much always did what needed to be done. Gary was a member of cross-country and track and field teams while he was a student at Springfield High School. Gary completed high school in 1970 and joined the U.S. Navy in April 1975. During his service, he was sent to Orlando, Florida, Bethesda, Maryland, Newport, Rhode Island, and Norfolk, Virginia. On January 23, 1980, Gary set fire to his apartment, which led to a court-martial with a 13-month sentence where he'd be serving time in a military facility in Norfolk, Virginia, and was discharged in 1981. Gary's father claimed that in 1972, Gary was a conscientious, I struggle to say that word, conscientious objector in order to avoid being drafted. I am aware of two instances. There are many more, of course, but the two that I know of are very popular. The first was when Muhammad Ali, the famous boxer, declared himself as a conscientious, sorry that I keep pronouncing that weird, conscientious objector during the Vietnam War and said, quote, war is against the teaching of the Quran. I'm not trying to dodge the draft. We are not supposed to take part in no wars unless declared by Allah or the Messenger. End quote. Desmond Doss is another, and he is the subject of the film Hacksaw Ridge. It's a pretty popular movie. I don't know if many of you have seen it, but this movie is about Desmond, who is an army medic, and he refuses to carry a weapon due to his Seventh day Adventist religious beliefs. And Additionally, he rescued an estimated 75 men without a weapon during the Battle of Okinawa in 1945. Gary first met Arlene while working at a hospital in Falmouth, Massachusetts. They soon got married and had a daughter named Jody, as well as a son who passed away from SIDS. Gary starts working as an auto mechanic at Saucy Motors once his time in the military is complete. And at his job, he's known as a 
pretty normal person. You know, he does what he needs to do every single day, and he never causes any problems. Gary was a member of his church, and he was a very active member. He served as the church's custodian and delivered Bible teachings to the younger members of the church. Gary was left to care for his mother by supporting her during a very tiring time after his father died of cancer on April 10th, 1982. Other than attending church, Gary's friends and family said that he loved the simple things in life. He would romanticize his life all the time. He would always be driving around listening to rock music. Gary eventually got divorced and enjoyed being alone while residing at the family farmhouse. Sherry Natasha was 13 years old when she was reported from Springfield, Vermont on August 28, 1979. She was last spotted getting into an unknown person's dark green Pontiac Firebird around midnight. She was still missing four months later in December 1979 when a truck driver stopped at a rest area near Rockingham and found skeletal remains. Eleanor McKillen received the remains, and using dental records, she was able to determine that the body was 13-year-old Sherry Natasha. They were having trouble determining the cause of death because they could determine from the skeletal remains that her leg and numerous ribs were broken, but all in all, they discovered evidence of a strangulation. 12-year-old Teresa Fenton was riding her bike close to her home on August 31st, 1981, two years later. When she didn't return home after a certain amount of time had passed, her parents and neighbors were very concerned and immediately began looking for her. They eventually located her bike, but she was nowhere to be seen. A dad and his kids were out fishing when they heard moaning coming from the woods. When they found Teresa, she had been brutally assaulted with a blunt object and abandoned in the woods to die. Teresa was brought to the Mary Hitchcock Memorial Hospital, where she succumbed to her injuries. The Springfield Police Chief, in a news conference, Peter Hurt, pleaded with the public to call the police if they had any information, because pretty much all the leads that they had became dead ends. They had also spoken to potential suspects, but again, they got nowhere. 17-year-old Deanna Buxton was hitchhiking on November 12, 1982, when a man in a red car picked her up. He takes her to the closest rest area so that they can use the restroom, but he pulls out a gun from beneath the seat and threatens to shoot her. He forced her into drinking wine and told her to take her undergarments off. They pull over at a liquor store and he forces her inside. Deanna tries to get the worker's attention, saying that something is wrong, but it doesn't work. Deanna goes back to the car and asks the man to stop at a store because she feels the need to vomit. She gets out the car enters the store where she's able to get help and get a very accurate description of the man and his vehicle. The man in the car, who would later be identified as Gary Schaefer, would end up crashing the car, and when police arrived at the scene, the scene of the car accident, they didn't put two and two together and realize that the man 
that crashed the car was the same man that just kidnapped Deanna and, for the time being, he got away with kidnapping. On April 9th, 1983, 11-year-old Catherine Richard, often referred to as Katie, was walking down Pedden Hill Road in Springfield with her friend, 11-year-old Rachel Zietz. When they noticed that the same car was passing them roughly three times, the driver pulled over and asked the girls for directions to a man named Joe's house. He then exited the car and threatened to kill them if they didn't get in. Katie got in the car while Rachel ran to the neighbors and called the police. Rachel described the man as being in his 20s, about six feet tall, slim built, with short brown hair, and driving a light blue Pontiac Sunbird with a dark blue roof. The following day, Katie's body was discovered in a forested area close to Springfield, partially naked with signs of sexual assault and injuries from a blunt object. After discovering Katie's body, officers quickly created a composite sketch and asked everyone nearby if they recognized the man. They questioned a man named James Millery Sr., who was a fellow churchgoer who claimed to have seen two girls who matched the victim's description on Pedden Road the same day he encountered Gary Schaefer. Gary told James that he left the service because he wasn't feeling too well. James was then shown a photo of the composite sketch by the investigators, and he saw similarities between Gary and the sketch. Gary was then located by the police, and they spoke with him at his mother's house. Gary, like every single serial killer, claimed that he had no knowledge of the murdered girls, but he did admit to authorities that he and a co-worker had traveled to Rutland, Vermont to pick up some cars. They then spoke to Gary's mother and the co-worker, and once they realized that Gary's story wasn't adding up, they decided to arrest him. They searched the home and discovered the red sweatshirt Rachel had mentioned. Gary entered a not guilty plea to all counts while being detained in the Woodstock Correctional Center where his bill was set at $50,000 and he was put on suicide watch. Gary was charged with the kidnapping of Deanna Buxton on April 21st, 1983, and the trial got underway in White River Junction. However, there isn't much information available regarding the trial proceedings, since the judge ordered a gag order claiming that his claiming his fear that the defendant might not receive a fair trial because of the publicity gary was charged with the murder of katie richards in october 1983 katie's mother revealed to the media that gary had allegedly sent her a letter in which he admitted to killing Teresa Fenton and Katie Richards. Gary received a psychiatric evaluation in November by doctors Shell and Stunkel, who deemed him fit to stand trial. Gary Schaefer's plea was changed from not guilty to no contest on December 5th, after he stated that he wanted to, quote, clear himself in the eyes of God, end quote. Gary was given a 30-year life in prison sentence for the murder of Katie Richards 
and an additional 15 to 20 years for the kidnapping charges of Deanna Buxton. After his sentencing, his lawyer advised him to sign up for the sex offender treatment study at the John Hopkins University in Baltimore, where he would receive the Depo-Provera treatment. And when I looked it up, it is birth control. It didn't make sense in my head at first, because I was like, why are they using basically birth control on sex offenders? Yeah, it it wasn't adding up. I didn't know that they use it for sexual offense therapy, but basically what it does for men who commit sexual offenses and are sexual sex offenders, it lessens the urge for any sexual desires. Police made the decision to question Gary regarding the murder of Teresa Fenton in January 1984. He admitted to killing Teresa once more after speaking with her mother. However, as part of his plea agreement, he was given immunity from prosecution, so even though he made two confessions, he would not be held accountable for Teresa's murder. Therefore, he claims that he couldn't have killed her. Trial proceedings weren't particularly interesting. It took longer than expected because they needed to verify Gary's alibi. There were numerous pieces of evidence that were ruled inadmissible, and the prosecution claims that the investigation was botched. And then the medical professionals that examined Gary's psychological state claimed that he had multiple personality disorder. The judge declared that Gary's confession to killing Teresa was obtained through hypnosis. Therefore, it wasn't true. Gary was just making up murdering Teresa. And the charges against Gary were dropped because nothing in the trial went according to plan. Sherry Natasha's murder is unsolved to this day, and Gary's whereabouts in prison are unknown. He would have finished his 30-year sentence by now, but he faces further charges of kidnapping that was resulted in the 15 to 20 year sentence, so he's still likely behind bars. I'm guessing in Vermont. My thoughts on this case? My heart does go out to the victims and their families, always. It's a good thing that this episode is about over because I'm sweating. I'm sitting in the closet. And with that, today's story comes to an end. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. Remember, every Thursday there is a new episode. You can keep up with me and the podcast at Instagram at Criminal Curiosity Pod. That is all that I have for you today. Please be safe out there. Look out for one another. Until next time, bye everyone. Mm-hmm.